Burton. I'm a managing associate in Linklater's litigation, arbitration and investigations practice in London. And I'm delighted to be joined on the line today by Charlotte Moore, managing director of SIGWatch, and Catalina Becerra, a qualified lawyer in Colombia, who is a research associate and the legal expert at SIGWatch. Charlotte is joining from London and Catalina has kindly joined us from Colombia while she is on leave. SIGWatch is a global activism consultancy and data provider that works with many of the world's major companies, investors and professional advisors to advise on trends and emerging issues in NGO campaigning and other activities. Today, we are going to be speaking about NGO-led climate litigation in particular. Now, there is a lot going on in this space, and today's conversation will just be an overview of the topic rather than a deep dive, but we hope everyone finds it interesting. So, Catalina, why don't we start by talking about the general NGO climate litigation trends that you're seeing in your work at SICWatch? Thank you, Rebecca, for having us. It's fascinating to talk about such a current topic in the NGO world. And now, regarding the trends, while past climate litigation may have targeted governments, recent cases are increasingly setting their sights on multinational corporations. In cases against corporates, we see challenges to net zero plans and biodiversity impacts of operations demands for polluting companies to provide compensation for past and future environmental harms, and attempts to stop financial institutions from funding polluting industries. Some of these claims take quite innovative forms. For example, the derivative action brought by Client Earth against Shell's boards of directors. Additionally, as everyone has seen, accusations of greenwashing have also driven much activist litigation over the past few years. A surge of campaigning on the issue in 2021 was actually followed by the implementation of regulation, which actors now use as grounds for lawsuits against non-compliant companies. And additionally, regarding current climate litigation against governments, activists focus on challenging climate change, policy response, and demand that companies adhere to international climate targets. Thanks very much. And you mentioned there the Client Earth Derivative Action. Um, that case has recently been dismissed by the Hawke, uh, High Court, um, but we understand Client Earth is planning to appeal that. Um, you know, from my own experience, my own work, I know, you know litigation can last a really long time. Um, it, it incurs costs, um, but we do see that NGOs are prepared to go the distance, even where there potentially is a low chance of success on, on any particular claim. So, I mean, Charlotte, why do you think that NGOs turn to litigation as a tactic, given it's definitely not an easy route? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. Um, from what we see, they turn to litigation as a tactic precisely because ultimately it doesn't really matter whether they win or lose. In many cases, NGOs are actually using this litigation to gain publicity for their cause and to bring the public and other key stakeholders on side. And that's actually why NGOs choose big name companies to be the targets of their claims, particularly carbon majors or companies with high emissions. Those cases are the culmination of years of campaigns against the company and its fossil fuel activities, and they aim to disincentivize those companies from continuing with high emitting activities. While some of these cases might be unsuccessful in the course of law, they are extremely successful in the course of public opinion. And carbon divestment campaigning actually works in a similar way. Although it might have little impact on a company's finances, it does erode the company's social operating license and it impacts public perception. That's really helpful to understand. And Catalina, bearing in mind those sort of motivational points that we've just touched on, could you share some thoughts on what you think might be next for NGO climate-led litigation? 
yes, of course. What I can tell you is that claims against oil and gas will undoubtedly continue. But activist litigation is also starting to spill over into other sectors, such as food and beverages, personal care, and even baby care, with Danone a recent subject of a claim by client Earth on plastic pollution. The case against Danone will most likely draw attention to the food and beverages sector and its role as a major polluter. Other consumer brands with a large plastic footprint should then pay close attention to this trend. Also, other issues that are starting to emerge include the exposure of the banking sector, particularly in France under the duty of vigilance, the use of soft law national contact points complaints under the OECD guidelines, and the risks of associations with companies and governments nearing short-term climate targets which might not be met. It's also worth noting that NGOs may look to replicate cases they bring in one jurisdiction in another jurisdiction, so it's worth having a good understanding of what is actually happening globally. Okay, understood. Well, finally, Charlotte, how should companies look to engage with that inevitably heightened risk of NGO-led litigation? What should they be thinking about or doing to sort of get to grips with that? I mean, this is the million-dollar question, um, and this is really what we try to do at SIGWatch is help companies understand this. And from our perspective, they should engage with this risk by getting to grips with the issues that NGOs are campaigning on particularly those which concern their business directly or their industry. Because by engaging with these issues early on, firms stand a better chance of going from being part of the problem to part of the solution in the eyes of the activists. And therefore, they become less worthy of singling out for attack. Companies should also be prepared for activists to remain pretty unsatisfied with their responses, but they should really try not to let that become an excuse for defensiveness or for lack of engagement. NGOs exist to critique, but for those companies that engage well, that criticism is tempered by praise for any positive steps. And we can certainly see that coming through in our data. Actually, one of the most frequent questions that we get from clients concerns this perception that NGOs are not open to compromise. Normally, we'd expect parties in a dispute to negotiate and find some kind of middle ground, but NGOs are highly unlikely to do this because their morals and their principles are their primary interest, and these tend to be absolute. To compromise on the fight against climate change is to give up on the principles entirely. And if they're seen to do that, they lose moral legitimacy and the trust of their stakeholders. As a final point, we've said that big name multinationals are most likely to be the targets of activist litigation, precisely because a big name guarantees bigger impact. But these risks don't come from out of the blue. We can see from our data how activist targeting of certain companies builds and builds over time, culminating in these high-profile tactics such as climate litigation. In most cases, there is plenty of advance warning, and this gives companies plenty of time to take action. Thanks, Charlotte. Well, I think, you know, this is a short session we have today, so I think that's all we've got time for. Uh, but I hope that overview has been helpful to our listeners. Um, thank you very much both for joining me. And of course, anyone listening, if you do have questions you'd like to discuss, um, do reach out to us. Thanks very much. Thank you.